0: Well, good morning. So this morning, we're going to be looking at Proverbs 2. So if you brought your Bible, you can turn there now. We're going to be there the entire morning. Um, and I think Proverbs is a book that is quite often misunderstood and forgotten. And I think the reason being because Proverbs has become a book that we either study Proverbs 31, which I'm sure you've heard 10 sermons on before, um, or it's a book where we write little sayings on little three by five cards and we decorate them and laminate them and put a magnet on them and put them on our refrigerator um, and i think we miss so much in the book of proverbs because we think it's just good little sayings and i have to confess to you before we go any farther this morning i was studying the book of proverbs a few years back with a few guys and god spoke to me through his word and he showed me a lot of things but I literally think I missed almost everything in the book. I, I We read through most of it. We looked through it. I'm um, confused on a lot of the things that they're saying, you know, the imagery and what's, what's he really getting at. Um, you know, and every time we read God's word, he speaks to us. But I missed a lot because I didn't know the purpose. I didn't know who it was written to. I didn't understand the greater um, idea behind the book. And so hopefully this morning we can see a little bit more behind the book of Proverbs, what it's about, who it's written to, and really what is wisdom and the value of it, and how do we find it? If this book is about wisdom and the value and the worth of it and how we're to live our lives, live this wisdom out in our lives, then how do we find it? So we're going to be finding that in Proverbs 2 this morning, and before we go any further, I want to make a little preliminary note, and this is the same way I think with every sermon. God's word speaks to us, and he will speak to you this morning through his word. But you will never find wisdom, take root in your heart, and affect your character if it's just this morning. It has to motivate you to go home and to study and to get in it on your own. That's the only way you'll see effect in your character and in your life, and so I have to say that because that is seen throughout the entire book, and it's true of my own life. That if we don't, if we just listen to sermons and we just listen to messages or lectures or Bible studies, but we never actually go home and do anything about it, then it's never going to really change who we are. We're never going to really see the fruit and the flourishing that comes from living out God's word. Um, the whole theme this year, you know, know the word and then live it. Know it, study it. Learn about it and now we gotta live it out. And we, there's a huge part with us to do that on our own. So, people say a lot about wisdom. Um, this guy, Paul Eldridge, said, the fear of man is the beginning of wisdom. The question is, is that, is that true? Um, or maybe it's as this other man, Ralph Emerson said, he said, the finish, to finish the moment, to find the journey's end in every step of the road and to live the greatest number of good hours is wisdom. So there's a lot of different takes on wisdom. Live your life to the full. Live as best you can, as well as you can, as many good hours. Take advantage of the moment. You only got one life to live. Live it up. Is that wisdom? Is it the fear of man? What is wisdom? And specifically, what does the book of Proverbs say wisdom is in its context? So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. There's a little background into Proverbs. As Matt said this morning, it was mostly written by Solomon, um, the last great king of over all of Israel before they divided. He was known as the wisest man that ever lived except for Jesus Christ. And he wrote the majority of it. And he wrote this, this proverb we're looking at this morning, Proverbs 2. And what a proverb is, is it's an illusion or a riddle, and so I really love that because I love imagination. And so this morning when you're reading and you're looking at your Bible and studying God's word, you're going to have to turn on your imagination because it's meant to play images in your mind. It's meant to make you think and to envision what he's saying because it helps to, to take it into your heart and into your soul. Um, with that, one of the great themes that runs throughout this book is that you can only apply what is written here If you have faith, if you don't have faith and you don't accept these words, you will never see it take effect in your life. You have to start on the basis of faith. And with that, the fool looks at this book and they despise everything it says. Or maybe they pick and choose certain things because they don't want to listen to everything because it's more satisfying for them to live apart from it. But the wise person in faith accepts the entirety of it and what it says um, and that is the basis of how we see this take effect in our life. And as, you've, as you have heard before, Proverbs one seven says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's the idea, that fearing God, having awe and reverence and faith for God is the beginning. You've got to start there. If you don't start there, you're never going to see anything else happen. Um, and that is the basis and kind of the background of Proverbs. It's written to which is interesting. It's written to the covenant youth and also the uncommitted and gullible. So this is the audience it's written to. I'm not saying that you're the uncommitted and the gullible, um, but it's written to these people. It's written to the covenant youth, the family, the parents in this book are giving lectures to their children when they're growing up into adulthood. And they're telling them how they're to live, how the people of God live. And it's also written to the youth that is uncommitted and gullible. It's called the Petit. He's simple-minded and he's about to enter the city. And there's all kinds of disasters and dangers in the city. And it's written to them because what specifically woman wisdom in this book is saying to them is you need to make choices now. You need to choose who you're going to serve, who you're going to live for now. Because when you get into the city, there's going to be so many different people trying to tell you how to live and what to do, and what's most beneficial for you. But more than that, it's also written to parents and teachers to teach their children, to teach their children growing up these truths. But I think also, if we're honest, a lot of us in this room are still uncommitted and gullible in a lot of ways, myself included, that we are very easily persuaded by culture, and a lot of times we don't even realize it. And so I think in that sense, it's also written to us because we're living in the city and it's dangers and it's temptations. And sometimes we need to be pulled back to what truth is and to what wisdom is because we've been kind of falling into the lies of the city. And also, um, the writer says, if you are wise, then you should read this book so you can feast upon the depth and the beauty of God's word. So essentially, the book's written for everyone. So we're all in luck this morning. And so we're going to jump into Proverbs 2 and try to unravel uh, the riddle and to see what Solomon is saying. And this is the second lecture of the parents, the first ones in Proverbs 1, and it's phrased with an if-then statement. So what the, uh, the author is saying, Solomon is saying, is if you do these five things specifically, then you will have these great consequences in your life, and you will have built up, um, wisdom, and a defense against the attacks and against the temptation of the city. So we're going to read right now Proverbs 2, 1 through 4. Here are the words of the Lord. It says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, If you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, if you do these things, then we will see later what the consequence is. But he breaks it down into five things. The first is, as I said, if you accept my commandments or he says, if you receive my commandments, the idea is. The, the, the foundation, the beginning, the first and most important condition is you have to accept in faith what these words are saying. If you do not, don't go any further. It is the basis of understanding God's wisdom, whether it's in the book of Proverbs or the rest of scripture is faith, receiving and accepting as faith. And if you're in the here this morning and you have faith, you will know this to be true because what will happen is there's a supernatural element of faith. And when you read God's words, you know and you sense in your soul that this is true. You sense it's right. You sense it's true. It doesn't mean you always live it out because we have sinful nature. But you know that this is right. This is God's words. This is how you are to live. And so before we go any further, I would say that if you don't sense that and if you, if it's hard for you to accept the teachings of God, take this morning and evaluate your relationship with him. It's the most important thing. It's the first thing, first condition, accept and receive my words. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The most important thing is that you get your relationship right with God. Because when you do, then you can accept the wisdom of Proverbs. It's the most important thing. And so he says um, to accept and to receive these commandments. And 1 Corinthians 2 says this, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Meaning, if you're not in relationship with God, that you will not understand the things of God. You have to be in relationship with him and accept his words in faith. It's the basis. The second condition, um, he says, to treasure up or to store up my commandments. Store them up, treasure up, meaning to memorize. Memorize my commandments. We're to memorize the words of God in our heart to see them take root in our life. And this is the second commandment here. You know, Ephesians 6, I've heard this my whole life, and it's just recently taken effect in, in me. Ephesians 6 talks about the armor of God, right? And it tells us all the different layers of the armor of God. And the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. So the sword, our weapon, is the word of God. And if you if you know me, you know that I love the fantasy genre of literature. I love Lord of the Rings. I uh, watch them a lot. And I've read the books. I also really enjoy Harry Potter. I enjoy Narnia, all those things. Anything that's fantasy, I want to be a part of it. Um, I want to live in that world. And so if you watch fantasy or if you've seen a fantasy uh, movie or you've read a book, you know that more often than not, There is this great weapon, right? And it's typically a sword. And the sword, there's this special sword. And it's always larger, stronger, um, and it has some type of special ability with it that when the good guy grabs it, he can then destroy evil with it. And he can specifically destroy the evil king. It, It More often than not, it kind of plays itself out like that. And I love that because in Scripture, God tells us that the Spirit of God, the sword of the Spirit, is his words. And so the idea is, if you want to have the weapon of the Lord to combat attack and temptation in your life, you have to have the word of God. And you have to have it in your heart because most of us don't walk around with a Bible all the time with a great concordance. And when we're tempted by sin, we say, hold on one second, and we flip to it and we, you know, really fast with sword drills so we can get there really fast. And then we read it and we say, no, that's a bad decision. I'm not going to do that. Most of us don't do that. We have the sword of the Spirit written in our hearts because we've memorized and we've stored up God's words. So when we're tempted, when we're faced with These choices in life, we have God's words that we can call to mind and we can combat them and say, no, that's not a good idea. That's not wise. That is the sword of the spirit that is treasuring up and storing up God's words. That's when you see wisdom play out in your life is when you start to store up God's words in your life. And also with that, um, we're to do this affectionately. Because I think more often than not, if you're like me, we, we begin to memorize God's word and we, it becomes a ritual that we're, we're practicing. We're putting it on our mirror in our bathroom, you know, we're putting it in our, our car so we can read it all the time and we start to memorize it. But it has to be done with affection. Because if you know the story in Matthew 2 with the wise men, they have the star, right? And they follow the star all the way. They, they know that God is drawing them and leading them. And they follow the star and they come to the wise men and the King Herod. And they're like, you know, where is this king? Because they don't have the word of God. And the scribes say, well, it says in scripture, they say this, and you, O Bethlehem, the land of Judah, by no means least among the rulers of Judah, from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So the scribes who know the entire Bible, probably most of it memorized, they know it so well, back and forth, better than any of us ever would. They know this. And when the Magi hear the word of God, what do they do? They affectionately and immediately turn and run towards Bethlehem and they find Christ. What do the scribes do? They never leave. They know the word of God. They know it front and back. They know that it says that there's going to be this ruler that's going to shepherd my people and he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And they know that, they've read it, they've memorized it, and they never move because there's no affection for it. It hasn't taken root and stored up like a treasure in their heart. It's just something they've memorized. And so when we accept God's words and when we store them up and memorize them in our heart, we're to do it with affection because then it takes effect in us. We run to Jesus instead of sit back and just have words that are inside of us. And then he says to to make your ear attentive to wisdom and incline your heart to understanding, meaning to pay attention to wisdom, to turn your ear to understanding, to read it, to look at it. Um, Iris Murdoch says this, and others have claimed this as well, that moral improvement comes not from the exercise of the will, but rather from paying attention to the world which decreases egoism by inclining or truing to someone or something. Meaning, growing morally doesn't just happen by someone waking up and saying, today I'm going to be more generous. Today I'm going to be more kind. Today I'm going to be more this or that. Because more often than not, what happens is we don't. Because when we kind of buckle up our bootstraps and try to live life, we kind of live for ourselves and we don't really grow. But what he says is that when people start to look outside of themselves and look at the world and to look at things that are happening, they begin to grow because they get to see a broader perspective of what is going on. And I think, for instance, with Haiti, and even now what's happening um, with Japan, is when people open their eyes outside of themselves, and when they look at the world and what's going on, and they see the oppression, they see the injustice, they see... Um, the hardship that people are facing, that people around the world are, are, are starving and dying just to get one meal a week. That what happens is something takes place in you where your egoism decreases and your desire for justice increases and you become more generous. Whether you're a Christian or not, many people with Haiti have become more generous with their time and their resources because they've realized, wow, There's a lot of hurt, and there's a lot of injustice, and there's a lot of stuff in this world that is messed up. And so the idea here in Proverbs is that we have to make our ear and incline our heart to wisdom, that we can't just wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to do better today. Today, I'm going to do better. I'm going to be wise. I'm going to live wise. And, you know, I'm going to face these temptations in my workplace or with my friends, and I'm going to reject them. Because more often than not, we fall in that. But we're to incline or to pay attention to wisdom, specifically God's word. And when we do that, we will begin to decrease ourselves and increase in this knowledge. The same way as when people decrease themselves and increase in the knowledge of what's happening across the world. And so we're to we're to accept God's words in faith, we're to store them up and memorize them in our heart, we're to make attentive our hearts and our ears to the words of God, and we're to cry out, it says, or call out for insight and raise our voice for understanding. James 1, 5 through 6 says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. And it will be given him, but let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. James says this, Proverbs says this, that after we have accepted and we've memorized and we're paying attention to wisdom, that we're to cry out to God for it. We're to raise our voice for wisdom, to pray that he illuminates our hearts, shows us truth, shows us the ways that we've been fooled by the world shows us the ways that we need to listen to what he says. It's this yearning. It's this crying and calling out for it. Then lastly, once we've done these four things, the last one is to seek it, to seek wisdom. Seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasure. What's in view here is something that is extremely valuable, and it's been hidden for protection. So it's kind of like the X marks a spot on a pirate map. You get the map. You know something extremely valuable is there. And so you do whatever it takes to find the X. You go through mountains. You go through seas, treacherous waters. You do whatever you have to do to find the treasure because it's extremely valuable. And that is what he's recalling to your mind, that wisdom, God's wisdom, is extremely, extremely valuable. And it takes work. It takes seeking it. Because it's not just you hear a sermon or you open up and you read the Proverbs really fast, you know, in five minutes in the morning and there you're set, you got wisdom, you're good to go. You have to dig, you have to think, you have to study it. You have to seek it like it's a hidden treasure, hidden for protection, and you will find it when you seek it. It's this call to action. It's essentially that, you know, we have to really get into the word and study it, kind of the battle cry for this year, know the word, live the word, right? That we have to know it. We have to study it. We have to read about it. We have to spend time in it and to see it take effect in our lives. That if you want to know wisdom, if you want to see it flourish in your life and take root in your life, you have to seek it like a hidden treasure. Knowing it's so valuable because you accepted it, now it's time to seek it, to run after it. So there's the five things to obtain wisdom. How do you find wisdom? You accept the words of God, you memorize them and store them in your heart, you pay attention to wisdom. You cry out to God that he would show you wisdom, and then you seek it like a hidden treasure. And then there's great consequences. This is what it says in Proverbs 2, 5 through 11. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand the righteousness and justice and equity in every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you and understanding will guard you. That when you do these five things, then two major things will happen. You will begin to grow in education spiritually, in education ethically, that you will begin to grow in this deep personal intimacy with God, that you will find the knowledge of God, that you will find the wisdom of God, which wisdom specifically here in Proverbs is masterful, masterful social skill, that you'll begin to find and grow in personal intimacy and knowledge of God, growing with him in a deep way, and then the wisdom that is found in Proverbs, which is learning how to live socially well for God, you will see that take root in your character as well. So if you do these five things, you will grow in deep personal knowledge and understanding of who God is, and then you will see that take effect in your life. It's essentially know the word, live the word. You will begin to know God in a greater way in his word, in deep personal intimacy, and then you will live it. It will come out, and the way that you live your life, people will know it. So he says, you'll find the knowledge of God. For God, the Lord, gives wisdom to you. That the same way that he gave wisdom to Solomon, he will give wisdom to you when you seek him, when you do these five things. And he guards and he watches over you. He protects you. And I think it's it's important to note here, um, a scholar by the name of Fox, he says this. He says, God's protection is not a reward extraneous to knowledge, but intrinsic, a consequence intrinsic to it. That God does not just say, I'm only going to protect those people that really understand wisdom found in Proverbs, or my wisdom. That Those are the only people that I'm really going to protect. Because we know that God protects us in many ways. All the time he gives us grace. Protection is one of the things that is so amazing about God, how he he forgives our, our mistakes and he protects us In in incredible situations, that it's not something that God gives to you because you have wisdom, but it's something that is rooted inside of you. It's intrinsic. So, you know, say that you're driving your car with your friends and you're in high school and uh, you're coming up on the on-ramp of 595. Not that I've ever done this. Um, And you think to yourself, I want to impress my friends right now. So I'm going to go really fast because there's never any cops here, you know, and it's by the airport. So it's what there's like 25 lanes. No one's going to be around me. It's nighttime. And so, you you know, you're thinking this is a good idea. I'm going to show off and impress my friends. So you take off, right? And you're flying down the street. You're probably only going 60. You know, you're not going that fast. Um, and God doesn't look down. Right. And he says, well, you know What? that guy, he just studied the book of Proverbs and he has the wisdom of God. So I'm going to make sure no cops come around him so he can just go ahead and do this and he will not get a ticket. I'm protecting him. That's that's not how it works, right? That's ridiculous. But what does happen is intrinsically when you begin to gain the wisdom of God, a consequence is when you're pulling up on the on-ramp and everything in you says, I want to show off to my friends and start speeding, you think to yourself, that's a bad idea, because if I get a ticket, if I'm going 30 over, I could get arrested. And if I get a ticket, my car's taken away, or I've got to pay all this money. I don't have that money. And so all these things are going in your head, and you're like, no, I'm just, I'm just going to go the speed limit. So it's protection that God gives you and that he watches out for you and guards you. But it's not that he just looks at you and says, protection for you because you know Proverbs. But it's something he roots in your heart that is evident From your heart that it comes to mind because God's word is rooted in your in your soul And then he says that you're going to understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path So when you gain wisdom and you do these things you're going to you're going to start to live it You're going to understand what is righteous and what is just and what is equitable and and what every good path is And what he's saying is a consequence is of finding wisdom. You will then live it out it's not like someone can read this word and they can say, that is awesome. That is really good. I understand what God is saying, but I'm not going to live it. That when people look at someone that is wise, someone that lives out this book, that understands it, a consequence is, is that when you look at them, you say, you know, what? they're, they're a righteous person. They stand for justice. They uphold justice they are looking to live every good path not that they never make mistakes but it's evident to me that they're wise that's someone that i want to go to and talk to because i know they're living it and you know those people you know the people that you look at them and you say that they're wise that they're righteous that they stand for justice and equity and they try to live every good path that when this book starts to take shape in your life and you do these five things not only is god's protection written into your heart but also It's evident to others. It's evident in the way that you live. And so an important question to ask yourself is, how do other people see me? Do they see me as righteous? Do they see me as standing for justice and looking to live every good path? And asking yourself, do I? Do I want to live righteously? Do I want to uphold justice and live for every good path? Because those are the consequences of finding wisdom. Because what happens is discretion, it says, now begins to watch over you. That God gives you this wisdom. He shows you how to live. And discretion walks over, watches over you. So when you live, you live with discretion. Knowing this is not just. I'm not going to do that. That this, this is righteous. I'm going to do this. And that is unrighteous. And I'm not going to do that. That this is the good path. And this is the wrong path. And I'm going to choose the good one. Because you have discretion written on your heart now. That true religion and ethics are inseparable it's it's not feasible for someone to find the knowledge and the wisdom of God and then to not live it out the, the scribes knew the word they knew the bible there's no affection there but they didn't really know it so they stayed back and they never ran to christ if you know the word of god and if you're living it and you're studying it then what happens is it's evident you live it out. People have a hard time with the book of James because it talks a lot about works. But the deal is, if you love God and you love the gospel, it's evident in the way you live. It doesn't mean you're perfect, but it's evident. And it should be evident when we find the wisdom of God that people know this is true. And the beautiful thing of Proverbs is he tells us very practically That if we obtain wisdom and and we do these five things, we're going to see these great consequences of growing in intimacy and knowledge of God. And we're going to see God's protection written in our heart. And we're going to begin to live it. Live for righteousness, justice, equity, and every good path. Because there are extreme dangers in the city that will destroy you and your life and your soul. And he tells us what those things are. He says in Proverbs 2, Proverbs 12 to the end, he says, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the the perseverance of evil, perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words who forsake the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God, for her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the path of life. So he gives us two people, two people in this world, the wicked man and the wicked woman. And that wisdom, when it takes root in your life, helps you to distinguish them and to reject them. And to live the way you are called to live. And the wicked man, you see here that his words try to rival the father's words. That all the wisdom that the father says, that God says, the wicked man tries to rival all of them. Try With his perverse words, he tries to persuade you otherwise. And he also, um, he's a man who's forsaken God. He's forsaken his wisdom and his ways are dark and hidden. That, though, that just as when you are living wise... People know you stand for justice and righteousness. They know it. It's evident. But the unrighteous and wicked man, his ways are ambiguous. They're dark. You don't really know. You look at him and you say, I don't really know if he's good or if he's bad. I don't know if I should trust him or not. He's ambiguous. He's dark. It's hard to understand. And he's someone who delights in evil. He delights in it. he takes pleasure in exploitation. He takes pleasure in the strong over the weak. He takes pleasure in drunkenness. He takes pleasure in easy sex. He takes pleasure in a good time. He takes pleasure in pornography. He takes pleasure in strip clubs. He takes pleasure in revenge. He takes pleasure in personal gain, in people getting what they deserve, in selfishness, in lack of commitment. And he also takes pleasure in movies and music that make us, that celebrate those things. That's the wicked man. And the reason I wanted to name some of those things off, um, because I think at times we wouldn't be characterized as the wicked man, but that we have been fooled in many different ways by what he says and by thinking that these ways are okay or that that is freedom and it's just a good time to do these certain things, and there's more than I just named. Or we justify our actions and say, well, it's not that big of a deal that I'm involved in these things because everybody everybody does it. Everybody struggles with it. You know, come on. It's It's not that big of a deal because we are so often uncommitted and gullible to the ways of the world. And this book has been written to us to help us to understand that the wise see it and they reject it. They reject the things of the wicked man and they don't want to live that way. They live opposite of it. Now they don't reject him just like they don't reject the the adulterous woman. They don't reject them. They want to love them and show them the gospel and show them wisdom that can liberate them. But they don't follow them. They don't follow down their path because they know where it leads. And then he turns to the wicked woman, and she's trying to rival the Father's words and the wisdom of God as well with her smooth words. She's trying to seduce us. And she's uncommitted, and she's looking to use the Son, and she's abandoned, and she's ignored the commandments of God. And dwelling with her only leads to death, that the destination for her is is not life, but it's death. And that going down there, going down that path with the adulterous woman, is so dangerous because it's almost impossible to get out. But once you're down there, it's such a slippery slope, you can't climb back up. Now, does that mean that if, if someone has, has fallen her path or has gone that direction, that they can never be rescued? No, of course not. God trumps all of these things that we fall into, and he rescues and he redeems us. But with that, with following her path, The result and the consequence of that, if any of you have ever gone down there, you know there's a lot of things that are lost, and there's a lot of consequence, and there's a lot of destruction. And the warning here is don't go down her path, because when you go down her path, a lot of things happen that are disastrous, because her and the wicked man, their ways are crooked. They fall, and they stumble, and they keep getting back up, and they keep walking down it. And when you walk down there with them, you're going to fall and you're going to trip and it's going to be almost impossible for you to get out. It's kind of like a black widow when they find their, or a spider in general, they find their prey, they wrap it up. There's no way you're getting out of there. The only way you're getting out of there is something miraculous happens, like a branch from a tree falls and and sets you loose and then you get away. It's kind of that idea that there are times where God rescues us from despair, from hopelessness. But there's consequences for us putting ourselves in that situation. And the wise understand that, and they reject that. And that's incredibly, incredibly impactful for us. Because what the Proverbs is saying is sexual sin, no matter what it is, whether it's sex outside of marriage or pornography or lust or the new fad of sexting and all these different things, all of that, is extremely dangerous you get involved with that you're sliding fast down a very slippery slope and there's destruction there's consequence for it and when you're wise and you seek wisdom the consequence the great consequence for you is that you recognize it and you want to turn from it you want to run away from it because you're not going to listen to their smooth and perverse words anymore you're going to listen to the words of the Lord because that's what you've turned your attention to. That's what you're crying out for. That's what you're seeking. That's what you're memorizing and storing up, and you've accepted it as true. So he ends with Proverbs 20, verse 20 through 22, and he says, So you will walk in the way of good and keep the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. That the righteous will heed these words, they will listen to them. There is something supernatural that will happen because of your faith, that when you hear the words of God, you accept them, and you want to live it out. You want to listen to these words, and you want to see these things take effect in your life immediately. You will live the good path, and the promise is that you'll be rooted in the land, and the land is, is a metonym here for life. That you'll be rooted in life. This will be your substance. And what life is for us is Christ. Christ is our life. He is our substance. He is what sustains us. And you will be rooted in him with this wisdom, with living this way. It's such a, a glorious promise that he will be your substance now, He will be what sustains you now, brings you joy now, greater than anything the world can, and in eternity. That you will be with him. He is your life and he is your substance. But those that despise and reject and are wicked, it says they are cut off. They are torn from and not rooted in the land. They're not rooted in this life because they ultimately will get what they've always wanted. They've always wanted life apart from Christ. They've always wanted to reject the words of God and live apart from him. And so ultimately, they will get that, a life apart from Christ. And so our desire and our response this morning should be twofold. To understand and to accept the words of God. God, your words are true. Your way is right. Living for you is wise. And it brings flourishing. And it helps root and sustain us in you. And so we are going to do these things. We are going to live these conditions and see these great consequences happen in our lives. And secondly, we should be reading this and saying, for those that I know that are not wise, that are wicked and are foolish, it should give us a zeal and a desire to love them and preach the gospel and the wisdom of God to them because we know here the promise is that they're going to be torn from the land just as we are rooted in it and we inhabit it they will be torn from it and we sh- that should hurt our soul and we should want to love others that reject and think this word and this Bible is foolish and show them that this can liberate them and that God has such a glorious promise and plan And love for all of us. And so I'm going to end with Proverbs 7b says this. It's pretty blunt and forward. He says, get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. So let me pray.